The following is a hoop bowl presentation. What is up, everybody? It's the Hoop Ball Clippers podcast. Brandon Marcus, your humble host. Glad to have you along here. It is a Tuesday that we are recording after the Clippers knocked off Oklahoma City, courtesy of a Paul George three-pointer and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. That three-point attempt was oh so close. Thought it was going to go in. It just would have been some sort of poetic justice of sort to see him make that three in front of the entire crowd that loved him. I mean, they absolutely loved him last year. was so sad to see him go in that Paul George trade, but you got to give up something to get something as good as Paul George, and that's what the Clippers did, giving up Shea Gilgis-Alexander. On today's podcast, we're going to have Farbad Esnashari. He covers the Clippers for Forbes and Clips Nation. He was there last night. He'll talk a little bit about what it was like seeing Shea and Gallo return to Staples, talk about Kawhi's injury, how worried he is, and also just talk about some other Clippers, whether it be a guy like Zoo, who has performed very well, Pat Beverly, who finally hit a couple of shots yesterday, and we'll also talk a little bit about Farbod and how he got to this point in his career. But before we get to that great interview, I got to remind you, this podcast, like all our shows, is brought to you by our title sponsor, Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee Company. Check out their website at hawaiianisles.com or on Amazon by searching for Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee or on Twitter at Hi Kona Coffee. And also, guys, did you get the newsletter on Monday morning in your inbox? The Brews letter? If you didn't, what are you doing? Go ahead, sign up for that. Aaron Brewski, our founder, is writing an email newsletter for the 2019-2020 season. Exclusive content you cannot find anywhere else. It's not on the website. It's not in any podcast. It's not on social media. It only pops up in your email, and you can sign up to get it for free. Just go to hoop-ball.com newsletter. That's hoop-ball.com newsletter, and sign up in 10 seconds. Aaron Brewski, straight to your inbox every single week. You do not want to miss out. What's ahead for the Clippers? Three games at home to wrap up this homestand. Games against Boston, games against Houston, and also against New Orleans. It'll be interesting to see how the Clippers do in that game on Friday against Houston, how they defend James Harden because they didn't do a very good job last time out. And also that game on Wednesday will be fun because Kemba Walker is a very good point guard. Tatum's been very good this year, as has Jalen Brown. They're missing Gordon Hayward. Marcus Smart probably won't play as well. I think the Clippers can dominate down low with Zoo and Trez. We'll see if they do that. But their perimeter defense has to be on point with those guys like Tatum and Kemba shooting the three. But without further ado, let's go ahead. Let's talk to Farbad Esnashari. All right, we extend the Clippers address book here as we bring on somebody for the first time and been following his stuff. He is someone that tweets a ton during games, has some tremendous insight into the Los Angeles Clippers. It's Farbod Esnashari. You can follow him on Twitter at Farbod underscore E. Farbod, welcome to the Hoopball Clippers podcast. Thank you for having me. Hey, uh, I want to talk about Kawhi Leonard, but before we get to Kawhi and this knee injury you were there last night Clippers fans love SGA they really love Gallo as well CP3 returned what was it like being there yesterday for that game to see Shea and Gallo return it was it was like a high school reunion type thing where everybody was just hugging everybody and everybody was friendly 
granted CP was like the only one with a small chip on his shoulder, but it was it was just funny. I was saying it during the game when I was looking at the box score. It looked like whichever team I was looking at looked like I was looking at the Clippers when I was looking at the starting lineup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the fans, obviously, in the beginning, were cheering for Shea and Gallo. There were some small boos for CP, but majority cheers. And then by the time the end of the game came, I mean, granted, everybody's all on the Clippers' side once the game starts. But when Shea had the ball at the end of the game and it was like a one-point game, I feel like everyone in the arena just felt some kind of poetic justice that Shea would hit that game winner and that would be how the game would end. And then when he missed, everyone just kind of, everyone would just breathe the giant sigh of relief. But at the same time, they're like, oh, if he had hit it, we'd be cool with it. Yeah, you know what's funny is that when that shot went up, I had enough time to think, you know what, if he makes it, that's I'll be happy for him. I really would have been happy for him. I feel like I've said this before on this podcast, um, and we taped one on Sunday. I really feel like he's just a bit my baby that we let just fly away, and he is going to college, and he's just been tremendous, and he is exceeding our expectations. He's developed into an incredible player, and more than one player last night after the game said he's going to be a star. There's no doubt about that. They really think he's going to be a star. And he didn't have the best of games yesterday, but seeing him on the floor and seeing him succeeding, there was something right about that. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, it almost seems like everybody has that consensus that he's going to be a star from Chris to Doc to Trez to Lou. Everybody has high expectations for Shea. So I think just seeing him succeed and it's, and it's going to be a different type of star where it's not like a LeBron situation where he's going to come into the league averaging like 27 points. It's going to be more like a Kawhi type thing where it's a slow, gradual rise to the top. And I think, within the next two years is where he could have the potential to be an all-star. How good do you think he could possibly be? Because he's someone that the Clippers didn't want to give up. And Doc has said numerous times when Lawrence Frank told him that Shea was still in the deal, he was not pleased. He was sad to let Shea go. I mean, I don't know how well his passing game is going to develop. And Doc said he prefers seeing him in the two position that he's in now, as opposed to what he was last year. Um, I think he might end up becoming like, I don't know, maybe like 25, 26 points a game, five assists and like six rebounds. I could say I I could guess something like that, but then again, you never know when somebody just suddenly explodes way beyond your expectations. How would you compare the applause for Shea to the one that PG got in his first game and the one that Kawhi got in his first game? Because I thought that it might be comparable, but I could be wrong. Uh, no, it was really loud for uh, PG and Kawhi. Mm-hmm. Well, Kawhi's is a little different because Kawhi was during the Laker games. So, like, when he came out, it was just noise, like, everywhere. It wasn't like – you couldn't tell if it was cheering or booing. It was just loud noises because of the Laker fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second game, though, it was super loud. Um, I don't think it was louder than PG or Kawhi because those were pretty loud. Yeah, PG came back down to earth a little bit yesterday, but of course he hit that game-winning three, and Doc continues to draw off those plays out of the timeout to just brilliance. When you saw PG yesterday, any signs of him being tired, or is this just a guy that can't live up to the, all right, we're going to score 30-plus in 15 minutes every single game? No, I don't think I don't think he was tired at all. Uh, I mean, 
the the plan is to have him at 28 to like 30 and doc said if he like played 32 it wouldn't be a big deal and he was supposed to play 28 last game against the hawks and then they were up by like 51 points so it didn't really didn't really make sense to have him in there um i think if anything he's still just getting used to some of the pacing of the game so like that's why he had seven turnovers you know despite having seven turnovers and him coming down to earth a little bit He's still shooting 50% from the field. It just wasn't some kind of insane number. Yeah, he's not a guy that is known for turning over the basketball either. But you talk about the minutes, and it's a good segue to Kawhi Leonard. I want you to take out your panic meter. On a scale of 1 to 10, how panicked are you right now about Kawhi Leonard? I don't think I'm panicked. Not at all. Uh, So where where would you put it? What what number? If we had to do 1 to 10. The thing is, I'm sure he's not right, like, in a long-term thing, and that's why he's load-managing. But I think if it was the playoffs, he could be playing right now. Because mm-hmm. if you look at Doc, like, he's pretty unconcerned. I think if if Doc was concerned, I'd be more concerned. Because when you, when you talk to him about Landry Shamit, he says, like, I don't know how bad it is, but it's not good. With Kawhi, he keeps saying, I'm not concerned. And he'll probably play next game, maybe, but who knows. And he's kind of just shrugging it off. So I don't think, if he's not concerned, I don't think anybody needs to be concerned. Here's my thing with that, Farbod, because the Clippers have been very, very coy when it's come to Kawhi Leonard so far. They said initially that he was gonna not going to get load managed as much, that he's healthy, he's 100% healthy, he's great, and they're agreeing with everything that Kawhi was saying during media day. And then he comes out, he plays 41 minutes against the Rockets, and we thought, okay, maybe initially he might play in those back-to-backs, and then he sits out, obviously, in that game against Thursday with PG back. Everyone was trying to figure out, would he play with PG? Would he play separately from PJ? PG, then the, the Hawks game came. And then we think, okay, he's going to come back for this game, but he doesn't. And now we're thinking, okay, is it because the Hawks aren't very good? All right, fine. If it's because the Hawks aren't good, he will come back Monday, because Doc said most likely it'll be PG and Kawhi that'll be in their first game together on Monday. Now here's where I'm concerned. I don't think that Doc would actually say to the media that this is going to be a two, three-week thing if it was going to be a two to three-week thing. Now, why? That's a big question because I think you're better off doing that instead of it being day-to-day or every single person's wondering every game whether he's going to return. That's the only thing that's strange to me and makes me think maybe he's okay but at the same time, this is a guy that was on one leg when he won the NBA Finals, and clearly they're just trying to rest him for April and May. But at this point, I'm not sure you can actually take Doc's words 100% to be fact. That's my Not the word, just the confidence, I guess. Mm-hmm. His words, I mean, he's already gotten in trouble this season, so he's going to kind of play at, a, play at a certain angle after he got in trouble saying he's fine. Mm-hmm. Um. But I, it's also just, like, from talking to some of the other guys in the locker room, like, they thought he was good enough to play uh, on the Hawks game, which was, what, Saturday? Yeah. Like, they thought he was going to play Saturday. So, like, I don't, they don't seem concerned either. Like, nobody nobody seems to have a, a red flag yet. Uh, if he didn't play, like, on Wednesday or Friday against Boston or Houston, then I'd be... A, a little bit more concerned. Like if it came to Friday and he didn't play on Friday, then I would be like, okay, this is a big issue. And it's not just a load management thing. 
Yeah, the one thing that I keep going back to is that the regular season doesn't matter. It's gotten to the point now where you just need him healthy in April. And once he's healthy in April, you just need him healthy for April, May, and June. And that really is all that matters. Paul George has shown that he's a guy that can carry this team for now if he needs to. This team has already shown without PG and Kawhi that they are going to be a pest. They took Milwaukee down to the wire without both guys. So that's one thing that was a benefit from last year, not having those two superstars, is this is a gritty team and they know they compete, can compete every single night. But we would like to see Kawhi and PG on the floor together. And so with that being said, can you really read into anything so far with the Clippers? I mean, I know they're 9-5, and five, they're 8-1 and one at home. Can you read into anything at all without Kawhi and PG playing together so far? Read into what way, like his play, Kawhi's playing situation? No, or no, no. Can you, can you overall performance? Exactly. Can you read into anything about the team and their three-point shooting and their defense? Is it fair to judge any part of this team yet? Um, I mean, the defense is there. The three-point shooting, three-point shooting is pretty weird because, like, I don't think that's there yet because. You look at a guy like Pat, and going into yesterday, he was averaging 17% from three, mm-hmm. and he's a career 37% three-point shooter, so there's no way Pat's going to keep shooting that poorly. And I, I just can't see the whole team shooting that poorly from three because outside of that one game against Atlanta, they've been the worst three-point shooting team in the league the last five or six games, but then they've been like one of the best offensive rebounding teams. So I think at some point, things are just going to kind of come to a happy medium, and you just kind of have to wait until that point. But at least what you can gather is that when the shots are falling, they're good enough to step up defensively to still win through their defense because they've done it like six times now. and that's a, that's a lot of times to be cold and somehow still win a game. And how weird is it that we're talking about the offense being an issue when you have Kawhi, Paul George, Lou Williams, Trez, and of course, many other guys. And it just seems weird that we're discussing the offense at this point when you have all those talents. Yeah. I mean, Trez is, Trez is fine. I think Lou a lot of times is fine. It was just kind of crazy. Like last game, I was looking at it, and I think there's like three different players that all combined went zero for 14. Mm-hmm. I think it was like Jerome, Jermichael, and so, not Jermichael. It was Jerome, Rodney, and someone else. And it was just like to have three different guys go 0 for 4, 0 for 5 is kind of surreal, and to still win that game, but it's just like, I think it's just a matter of the shots will just start falling. You just have to kind of get through it. It's, and then, I mean, you saw it in the Atlanta game, like that's kind of what it looks like when the shots start falling, because a lot of the shots are wide open, too. Like, they're daring Patrick Beverly to shoot, and a lot of these shots are wide open, other than like Lou or Paul George. It, it's sooner or later that they go in. He was awful against the Rockets. I mean, he was absolutely awful. He had so many open looks for three. I think he was like 0 for 5 from three in that game, and he just couldn't hit anything. So it was good to see him actually hit a shot yesterday. That third guy, by the way, was Terrence Mann that you were discussing. He was 0 for 5 yesterday. Um, But with Pat, it's confusing because you're not relying on him offensively. You, You really aren't, especially when you have Lou, Trez, PG, and Kawhi that'll be on the floor. Um, at the same time, but he still is providing that defense, which I think you are happy with. Um, how do you look defensively yesterday against CP3? Because there was a lot of talk with this whole Westbrook thing, but it turned out he was actually pretty good against Westbrook. How do you look against Chris Paul? I mean, I have to look at the exact numbers to see how many possessions 
he was on Chris Paul. Mm-hmm. But overall, it just seems like having them there is good for team defense because the two games he was out, I mean, Atlanta was just some, some kind of weird aberration where they, I mean, they still scored over 100. But the two games that he was out, the opposing teams got some good shots in, especially the Pelicans. Like, Drew Holiday went off. So I think there's certain guys that help both from a team defensive standpoint and a one-on-one defensive standpoint. I haven't had the time to look at his matchup with CP, but it's just like both him or a guy like Gallinari. Gallinari was known as a vocal defender, and so he would bark orders for everybody on where to be. And I think those are the types of things that are kind of harder to see through just straight one-on-one metrics. I think that's something for Pat as well. Um and also, I'm pretty sure last year he started the same way where he was just super cold the entire start to the season. And then he kind of caught fire later on. Because I remember when he was coming off the bench for Avery, he was colder. And then when he started, he started doing better. And I distinctly remember it because <laughs> some some reporter asked him, because uh, he was cold for so long, somebody asked him, like, what is it like to get hot after you've been cold for so long. And then he started yelling at him being like, I wasn't ever cold. He's like, it was just going to go in or it did it. And that was why I remember him having that. What do you think about Terrence Mann? What are your thoughts on him? Seeing him uh, start the last couple of games. How has he done? I mean, last game he was kind of so-so. The, the, the game before he was much better. He, there's times where he looks panicked, which is fine because he's a rookie and it's an acclimation period, but he's getting good minutes. And I think that's all that matters. So, if you're winning and you're experimenting with him in the starting lineup and the Clippers clearly need like a play, uh, a ball handler or somebody who can pass the ball besides Lou, because sometimes when you ask Lou to do that, it's just too much of a load or he'll get the ball turned over. I think if you give man that opportunity, it's always a good thing. It's just how reliable it is right now is it's okay. But when you face Boston or Houston, and if you lose both of those games with him in the starting lineup, you might have to tinker with it. It sounded like Doc was happy with his defense yesterday. Uh, that was something he talked about afterwards, right? Yeah, it was funny. Uh, in the locker room, Bev was teaching him how to guard Gallo. Uh, before the game started, He was it was just like two of us in there. and He was saying, he's like, if you get a switch on Gallo, he likes to go left. And he likes to pretend to take a, a step or two and then start coming at you. So just be ready when he goes left. And he's giving him all these pointers. So it was just funny to see. Yeah, well, that's one of the veteran things that Pat brings to your team. He may not be scoring the basketball, but having him in the locker room is huge. One other guy that continues to improve, and we've talked about him several times on this Hoopball Clippers podcast, is Zoo. I mean, it just seems like finally he was given the minutes that he rightly deserved yesterday. I believe he played nine minutes in that first quarter and I think he was the last starter to come off the floor. I think finally, perhaps, Doc is realizing he needs to play Zoo a little bit more than what he has been. Is that what you're seeing? Well, it's, it's weird because, well, first of all, Zoo is like Mr. First Quarter. Like, he always has like eight and six at the end of the first, which is pretty cool to see. Mm-hmm. Last year, he had two messed up hands. So this year, he's totally healthy, and you can see it more because he actually finishes way harder. Um, it's tough because Doc clearly doesn't want to play Zoo and Trez at the same time. And he wants to keep Trez in when Lou is in. And so he always wants to have them in at the same time a majority of the time. So then it just becomes a matter of picking and choosing between Zoo and Trez. And I think yesterday was a really, really good happy medium of the two. 
I think that was like the perfect example because Zoo's averaging like 15 minutes a game and he should be getting more, especially if you're paying that much. And yesterday he ended up with 20 or 21 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then Trez also had his time and he was the, the best player in the game. So it was a really good happy medium between the two. I think if it, the Zoo situation almost kind of reminds me of Boban where everyone kept telling him to play Boban more, but it was a situational thing. Not as intense, but just it's a situational thing between choosing between Trez and Zoo, and he just has to make that decision each game. Granted, I I don't like being that guy to tell the coach what to do, but that game against the Pelicans, they really should have played Zoo more, especially when Derek Favors was killing them. Yeah, and I'll be curious to see what he does on Friday against the Rockets. I think he only played like 10 minutes when they played against the Rockets last time, and I know you want to run with Houston, and so that's why you have Trez in there. Uh, but with Zoo, he brings something to your team that Boban definitely – he was a great piece of energy. I mean, that's exactly what Boban was. I mean, he went in there, and all of a sudden he got – he was dunking over guys, and he got long rebounds, and he's just Boban. But with Zoo, it seems like you're developing a very good center – uh, that's going to be a big part of what you do over the next several years. And I'd like to see Zoo continue to get minutes during the regular season and continue to improve his skills. Because right now, it, sure, you're going to play him 10, 15 minutes, but what does that do for him? I mean, you're, you're looking to win games, but at the same time, you really want to develop Zoo because you need him there in the playoffs. That's the way I see it, because if you don't have Zoo as a guy that's an option in the playoffs, then you're in trouble when you run into the likes of the guys on the Lakers. And you, you you need him to develop because you gave him the three-year deal and Trez is on a contract here, so you have no clue what's going to happen mm-hmm. in either situation. But, I mean, to be honest, like I can't get mad at Doc too much about it because like, it's just a tough call between Zoo and Trez on who you're going to play. I think, if anything, you just share Zoo with Lou more and then put Trez in. But, I mean, I totally get where fans get frustrated because it seems like such an easy... Two plus two equals four. Like if you're getting out rebounded this hard, or if they have this many offensive rebounds, just play the center. Yeah, it's such an interesting NBA that has now developed because you have that small center. I mean, to the point where PJ Tucker was playing center with Capella out, and Zoo is a different guy in today's NBA. He's not the guy that's going to run with the rest of them. And I'd like to see him develop, and I really want to see what you have there. With the with Zoo at center, but we'll obviously have to see. You got a couple of games this week. You're a busy man. Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, and yeah. a couple of games here with Boston and then Houston. I believe New Orleans is on Sunday. What should we expect from the Clippers these next couple of games? Because Boston's going to be an opponent that comes at you with Kemba. They have a t- Jason Tatum's very good. Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart's hurt, so he probably won't play. And then of course Houston. There's a rematch. What are you expecting to see from this team? I think the Boston game is going to be one of those super defensive games again where it's going to be really gritty and you got to gut it out and they might shoot poorly from three and both sides might struggle. Kind of Honestly, kind of like yesterday's game. Mm-hmm. I could see that happening with Houston. I don't think they're going to be lucky enough to get Westbrook four fouls in the first half. So if they go cold against Houston the way they typically go cold, I think it's going to go south really fast. But I, I honestly suspect Kawhi to play either both of them or just Friday. Like So it's a little hard to tell you what you're going to get because we've never seen Kawhi with them yet. But I suspect he'll play either both or, or just Friday. 
Um, but with the Houston game, I think they're going to really need to figure out a different strategy against Harden or figure out a way to get Harden in foul trouble. Because mm-hmm. like, they got pretty lucky with the Westbrook situation, and that was a game really there for the taking last time. I just can't see it getting replicated again. Yeah, they were awful against Harden. I mean, there were times when guys were running back and then the defender left Harden and just let him shoot a long three. It's like you can't do that in transition. You have to pick up Harden, let them get whatever else, but you have to have a man at Harden at all times. And I'll be curious to see who defends Harden and how much the Clippers show Harden because you know in the back of Doc's mind, part of him doesn't want to show that much knowing that they can be an opponent in the playoffs. Because if you go and show your best defensive tactics against Harden, he can then adjust next time around. So that it's a game of cat and mouse at this point when you play against the top teams in the West because you want to compete and you want to win. But at the same time, you don't want to show your entire hand. Yeah, I think they'll be better simply because like the, the first time they played against him, it was, it was a different lineup and you could see... I mean, every game you can see it and Kawhi has touched on it where they've had so many different rotations and even with like Paul George they're talking about Zoo was telling me he hasn't even practiced with him going into that moment hmm. like they haven't had any practices with him and so it's all kind of them doing a lot of these defensive rotations just in recent practices or on the fly in the game and you can kind of see sometimes when there's lapses like especially in that Pelicans game you could see PG and I don't remember who else it was, but they were kind of pointed fingers at each other when they, uh, oh, it was PG and Lou, when they let Drew Holiday shoot that three, I think it was Drew, mm-hmm. shoot a three, and they forgot to pick him up. And they started pointing fingers at each other, and it became uh, another a six-point game after that. And those little growing pain moments are things that are going to happen when you have this team that's so kind of just, variable right now mm-hmm. that by the time they get to Houston, hopefully these last two, three games put them in a position where those don't happen as often. So this team is now nine and five. You've gotten a decent look at them. Where do you think they now finish in the West? Given that we've seen that Kawhi is going to get low managed. PG looks good. Kawhi's a little hurt. This team is winning games at home. They've had a pretty tough schedule thus far. Where do you think this team finishes? I think if we're in the same trajectory, like nobody nobody getting a serious injury or something like that, and we're in the same pace as we are right now, I, I could see them getting like the three seed or so, the two or the three seed. But then again, they've also had like a really tough schedule with a ton of back-to-backs, and the Lakers have had one of the easiest schedules. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, come January when the schedules start to average out where everybody lands. But I think the two or the three seed, it doesn't seem like they care about seeding, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you wouldn't be resting Kawhi as much as you are. But I think they're still trying to get, like, at least a top four seed. Yeah, I would agree. And it's nice to see that they're 8-1 and at home. I think that says a little something because this team hasn't really had a home court advantage in previous years, but it seems like now they're starting to get – a little bit of an advantage. We'll see when it comes playoff time who they play against. Uh, luckily, they're not going to be playing against the Warriors, and that's a team that really flooded the Clippers arena. But it, it's nice to see they have a little bit of a home court advantage. Well, you know, I'm not 100% sure if it's home court advantage or it's because they keep having back-to-backs on the road. Yeah, that too. 
So it's like there's also and and there are different cities. So it's kind of like we've had back to backs at home, but to have back to backs on the road or in different cities is that's just tough. So it's like I think if they have a little bit more of a regular road schedule, they might have a better road record. Before we let you go, the people who follow you don't get a chance to uh, really know a lot about you. Am I correct? So you're writing for Forbes right now, and you're also contributing to Clips Nation. Is that what the uh, the resume is? Yeah, so it's writing for Forbes on the regular, and then Clips Nations is kind of for a little bit more of the Clipper-centric pieces, like if I do a piece you know, on the DJ or somebody who's more a part of the organization. And then sometimes every now and then it'll be like wrestling coverage on ESPN. So are you saying you're a big Shield person? Are you a big Roman Reigns guy? <laughs> um, yeah, I used to hate all that guy a lot. And then I interviewed him and he was super cool. And I was just like, man, I can't hate that guy anymore. <laughs> so I, can't, I can't say anything bad about him. But, I mean, my favorite guy is Nakamura. Yeah, that, that's fair. Shinsuke's solid. He's a good performer. How long have you been with Forbes? Uh, this is the first season. Oh, okay. My, my, my writing path was like my whole path at like Staples Center is very bizarre. Like eight years ago, I was an intern there in the sponsorship department. Mm -hmm. And then I interned the second year. And then after that, for like three years, I worked as a technician. So basically there's these like technicians that worked for companies called Van Wagner or another one called Dorna or another one called ANC and they control the scoreboard, you know, the advertisements yeah. on the scoreboard that rotate Yeah. that like a lot of players will dive over all the time. Mm -hmm. So those guys sit courtside most games, almost all games. And then they control that scoreboard. So I did that for three years and then out of the blue, the Clippers got rid of the entire company uh, when the ownership changeover happened. And so after that happened, I was just kind of like, oh, what do I do now? And I had like a little bit of writing experience. I didn't go to school for journalism or anything. Like I was a good student all around, but like I didn't go to school for journalism at all or for, for marketing. And then uh, I was just kind of in panic mode. And But I had been at Staples Center for so long, I, I already knew everybody by that point because it had been five years. And so I told the PR team, like, hey, what if I start writing? And so I started writing for a site called The Sports Daily, which is owned by USA Today. And uh, I wrote, like, 40 articles in a month. And I kept, like, going pretty intense on the writing. Mind you, like, while I have a 9 to 5. And then I showed it all to the Clippers. And I was like, hey, like, I've covered this team a lot. Do you think we can get me credentialed? And they gave me, like, daily credentials. And then... The following year, I was at Clips Nation, and then like the following year, I was at Forbes. So it all kind of just went from like zero to a hundred pretty fast. Wow, talk about grinding, man! The, <laughs> you you were at that arena for a long time, and you decided to stay with it. I mean, good for you. That's a incredible path, and you do a great job covering the team and providing a ton of insight. Whether it's getting remarks before the game, after the game providing videos and stuff during the game. It's pretty incredible. And you even, uh, I think we're talking to Steven Adams before the game. <laughs> that was pretty funny. <laughs> that was actually one of the funniest encounters I've ever had. Cause, uh, I, so I know he likes anime and like, I like to know some of the stuff players are into. Cause I like to talk to him about it. So like zoo really likes game of Thrones, mm -hmm. uh, PG likes video games, Steven Adams likes anime. So I, I try to find those little things. 
And because um, I try to have fun content sometimes, and I, I go up to Stephen Adams to tell him I want to talk to him about anime. And he's two years younger than me, by the way, but he doesn't look like it. Mm-hmm. And then I go up to him and introduce myself, and he, the first thing he says is, how's it going, boy? And I was just like, wait, what? <laughs> and he called me boy like six times, which I just, he didn't mean anything bad by it, but it was just the funniest thing ever to have somebody younger than me call me boy and like me having no ability to do anything about it. Yeah. Because he's like a 6'10 guy that's 200 pounds on me. And so we, you know, we kind of shoot the breeze about anime and then there's these guys from CNN that are just standing there with a microphone in his face for some reason, like while we're talking about this. And after we finish, he looks at him and he's like, you guys here for anime too? And they just look at him with a dead face and they're like, no. And they shut it down immediately. (laughs) But honestly, he was one of my favorite guys to interview that I've seen so far. That's cool. Well, keep getting that insight. Where can people follow you? I know it's at Farbot underscore E on Twitter. Anything else you want to promote before you go? Yeah, on Instagram, it's the daily clip. So that's just like purely, it's mainly video content. Um, so Instagram's the daily clip, like C L I P, like Clipper. And then Twitter is Farbot underscore E. Cool. Well, Farbot, we appreciate you coming on the Hoopball Clippers podcast. No worries. Thanks for having me. Big thanks to Farbod for popping on and providing his insight into the Clippers. And a good story there. I didn't know any of that about him being with the Clippers organization in a different capacity for quite some time and doing whatever it took to stay in the building and get credentials and follow the Clippers. And now he's doing it for Forbes. So very impressive to see him go on that path and succeed. Now, I promised in the intro that I'll provide my take on Kawhi Leonard and I got to tell you, I am flip-flopping, it seems like, every single podcast. And I apologize for that. But the lack of information that we continue to get is a little worrisome. And initially, I said, all right, he was going to play back-to-back games. No problem. He said during media day he was fine. And then he wouldn't have the restrictions on him that he did during his Raptors run last year. And we've seen that he clearly does have those restrictions. He's not playing back-to-back games. And now he's got an injury that he sustained in that game against Houston. And I thought for sure he would come back in the game against a game on Monday, yesterday, against OKC. And he didn't. And I really don't know what to read into Doc Rivers' statements. I don't know how to actually interpret his words. I don't know if, if Kawhi is okay and they're being very, very careful. I think the optimistic part of me wants to think that's the case. And again, I said it with Farbod. I don't care right now that much. I really don't because I think he's going to be healthy in April, May, and June, and that's when it matters. They're going to do whatever it takes to make sure he's healthy during the playoffs, and that's why I think they're doing what they're doing right now. And Kawhi has already shown that on one leg, he can carry a team through the playoffs. I mean, this is a guy that really did not look healthy at the end of the run with the Raptors when they won the title. Now, that being said, I'm a little concerned that we're not getting a ton of transparency. And I think that, I mean, kudos to the Clippers. They are doing exactly what Kawhi wants. And I think that's very impressive to stick by Kawhi during the entire process of him becoming a Clipper. There was no indication that he was going to sign with the Clippers. There was some talk earlier in free agency that the Clippers were probably going to be an option, but then once these other free agents started signing, 
there wasn't that second guy that Kawhi was going to join. And so everyone thought, all right, he's probably going to go to the Lakers or the Raptors. Clippers are probably out of it. But th that's exactly what Kawhi wanted. He wanted to make sure the Clippers didn't say anything to the media, and he wanted them to have his back. And the Clippers proved that they could keep a secret and that they're going to keep his best interests at the top of the list. And that's what matters. And that's exactly what's happening now. They're making sure that nobody knows anything about Kawhi. And whether this knee injury is more serious or they're just being careful with him, we really won't know. And I don't think we'll ever know, to be honest with you. And I don't mind that completely. It's scary as a fan, as someone that has gone through all the ups and downs of the Clippers since 2000, to see your best player, 1A, 1B with Paul George, go through this. But that being said, this is a guy that knows his body, and he looked fine against Houston, apparently got hurt during the game, and he continued to play. So that's why perhaps we shouldn't be that worried is that it was an injury that he had to come out right away. He apparently banged knees with somebody during the game, and that's why they're being careful with him now. I say it on Sunday's podcast, didn't love that he played 41 minutes. Hope that doesn't happen again until the playoffs. But my summary of all of this is that I tend to agree with Farbod. I'm going to be optimistic. I'm not sure he plays Wednesday. I'd be surprised if he's not back by Friday, Sunday at the very, very latest. They're going to be careful with him. He is not going to play until he is 100%. Because it's not smart to play him until he's 100%. You have Paul George. You don't need him right now. You're doing well without him. You're not going to be that 11-2 Clippers or 11-2 Lakers or whatever their record is. But you're going to win games, and you're going to be okay. The schedule is going to ease up. Give Kawhi time to get healthy. But at the same time, as someone that follows fantasy basketball and gives advice here on Hoopball with fantasy basketball, you, you worry when you own somebody like Kawhi Leonard because you don't know if he's going to play the next game or two. You knew going into the season there was going to be risk involved. I don't think any of us realized there was going to be this much risk. All right, that does it for this podcast. Remember, rate, review if you really can. It'd be very helpful. Go on iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. Review the podcast as well. Leave a comment. Be so kind. That would be lovely. Follow the podcast at Hoopball Clippers. It's at Hoopball Clips is the podcast name or the handle. At BD Marcus is my Twitter handle. And at Hoopball Fantasy, you can always follow as well for your fantasy needs. Big thanks to Farbot S. Nashari. I'm Brandon Marcus saying so long, and we'll talk to you next time on the Hoopball Clippers podcast. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.